They will think we are doing one thing, but the truth is we are doing something altogether different, Professor Xavier. Ooh, sneaky. Sneaky Xavier. He's up to something. He's up to something and we're going to find out what it is. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. My name's Alicia. And I'm Justin. And today we are talking about Powers of Ten, issue number five, For the Children. For the Children. Yeah, I told you a little uh, little, little sneak. That's the, that's the title of the issue. Oh, snap. Previously we had uh, translated it in Krakoan, but we didn't do that last time. So. Oh, yeah. Figured I'd give it to you. Yeah, Appreciate little, it. Little Appreciate it. So uh, what do the covers look like today? Or what is our cover option? We, we do have the standard cover. OG baby. OG baby. And while I believe issue four of Powers of Ten was called Something Sinister, issue five features the main man himself. Oh, look at that cape. Yeah. You love it. <laughs> you know it. You love it. The main man. He's got he's got some some fancy fresh uh Seneca Crane facial, facial hair, hair yeah. right now. Yeah, he's really <laughs> digging those points. Yeah. Guiding lines to the chin and to the ears. He's accentuating the diamond shape with those angles. Yeah. Yeah. He's bringing it all over his face. (laughs) Where's he standing though? That's, that's something that I found interesting. Oh, that's the, that's Krakoa. Yeah. And that's the tree with all the little eggs. Eggs in it. Yeah. He he makes me think of where Xavier was in house of X number one. Mm. And those hands reaching out are, you know, coming from the egg. Like baby velociraptor humans birthing themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come to Papa. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what he's doing a come to me, my children yeah. type thing, which is interesting that you notice the hands. I don't think I'd ever noticed the hands before. Oh, really? Um, right. Yeah, I'd seen the pods behind him, but never really noticed those hands coming out in the foreground. Yeah, they're breaking free. Ooh. All right. I got my little... My fancy book, ready to go. That's the House of X Powers of Ten hardcover. It's so satisfying. It's so good, right? Makes me so excited. So here we go. Page turn noise. Ooh. Well, so we have our quote, our opening quote from Professor X. The what they think we're we're doing, but altogether you're going to do something different. And then at the bottom, Xavier Alpha, which has been something that we've had in the past but yeah we're right to the title page right there's no pre-story no pre-story on this one just all story for the children number 10 of the full number 10 of the full series or is that like a 10 like what is this 10 for on my in my book you think it's because it's the 10th i think that's the 10th issue of the full two mini series which is interesting that they would do that uh our creative team on this issue is Written by Jonathan Hickman, art by R.B. Silva, color artist Marta Gracia, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and designed by Tom Muller. The cover that we were looking at is also by R.B. Silva and Marta Gracia. Our editorial team, Annalise Bisa, Jordan White, C.B. Sabolsky. And the title, like I said earlier, is For the Children, the Krakoan text on the bottom that you don't see, Once More, and I Need Three. Once More. Once more, let's give it one more try. That's yeah. what I. That's what I hear. 
Once more. Okay. Which Let's is interesting. Let's make it work this time around. Which is interesting because for the children, once more, I need three. I think, I think those are all lines of dialogue from the issue. And I don't know if that holds true for all of these all of them? texts beforehand, but I'm pretty sure all three of those are lines of dialogue from the issue. Well, exciting stuff. All we'll find from, out. All from the same character, too. Mm. Okay, I'm excited. I'm ready. I'm diving in. Let's dive. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is that? Is that? Okay. Oh, we are in. So many things to react to on this page. I just, I, I had to take in all of the imagery, realize that we're underwater, see that old school cerebro helmet and then i was like okay alicia look look at the top corner figure out where we're at so we're at year one so we're we've gone back welcome back to powers of 10 use your brain <laughs> right year one is this is happening all before the timeline which is in house of x correct yes so year one is our first time stream time point whatever you want to call it it's our first series of things that we've been jumping around in you know we were we were in year one when moira was first talking to xavier we were in year one when they came to magneto and then also when xavier and magneto came to sinister so year one represents kind of a, a fluid expanse of time in the early years early decades even of x-men and i say decades okay. because they were in Xavier was in his hover chair when they visited Sinister, which happened in the 90s. Okay, so, oh my God, wait, what? We're going into like, this is going into other storylines. As you just said, the 90s, which means like you're referencing time points within the overall arching anthology of X-Men. Right. And that's, and, okay. and we've talked about that in, I think it was the last the last episode or the, the last Powers of Ten issue that we talked about where... This year one felt more like a, a frame of time, almost in reference to everything that's happened in the X-Men beforehand. I just think it's every issue a little bit more clicks in my brain. Mm -hmm. Every time we sit down to record, I understand just a little <laughs> bit deeper what's going on. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so, so year one essentially is the first time that Moira tells Xavier about what's going to happen. It's like their first attempt, not her first attempt, but their first attempt with Magneto involved. Maybe. I don't know all of that. So Magneto, it's the first time Charles, Moira, and Magneto are working together, all three of them. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. This yes. Is, and this, then year 10 is the one where we're, we're mainly living in, in, in House, House of, of X. X. Yep. Year 100 is resolved is the one the ninth life yep the ninth life ninth life of moira that's apocalypse situation yep and, and the horsemen and the assault on the nimrod and technology. then year 1000 is the one with the, the librarian and the, the, phalanx. the phalanx yep yep. yeah okay all right so right now we're in year one <laughs> okay so we're in year one and xavier is underwater drinking drinks mm -hmm. who this guy that's Forge. Oh, Forge! What up? Nice to finally see your face. Yeah, right. Uh, you can you can see. I think it's interesting that he's wearing the style of his X Men uniform, but there's no X on his belt, and yeah, you can actually see that 
as you go through these pages. You never see an X on his belt. So I'm, I'm interested to know kind of where where in that timeline we are currently. Um, He's just in stealth mode. Right. He's forged in stealth mode, and living I'm, with the jellies and the whales underwater, apparently. Exactly. And and to, to that point that you've mentioned uh, underwater, I recognize this as, so Forge lived in Dallas, Texas when we first met him in, in when we, when I first I'm met like, him. I'm like, uh, I, you all cannot see my face, but I just looked at Justin like, I've did I met, miss I've something? What are you Forge. talking this, about? This is the first time I've met Forge. No, what now? <laughs> when Forge first appears and they establish his home, it's in a skyscraper, a, a penthouse in Texas. And, okay. he, and he lives in this penthouse and he has a holographic system set in place. Basically, he's living in a danger room. So this is not real. They're not actually underwater. They're in, I'm assuming, in his pet house that Xavier has come to visit. That's disappointing. Forge. I wish either he well, lived underwater or this is a giant aquarium wall in well, his house. I wish it was real. Look at the last panel, right? And so you can kind of see his legs through mm-hmm. and you can see Xavier through all these images and, and just the proximity of where these fish are swimming. Hey, a girl can dream. Yeah, okay? no, you absolutely dream on. But know that this is... Do not stifle my imagination. All right, I'll, I'll be quiet. All right, so what are they doing? What's happening? What are they drinking so about? They're talking about Cerebro. So he's asking, Professor Xavier's asking, can, can this be done? And Forge is saying in response, you know, we don't know exactly what they're talking about, but it's over, over some, some liquor with some fishies in the background. Nothing that can't, there's nothing that can't be done, but do you have access to a fusion reactor? And Xavier says, hypothetically, and Forge says, well, now we're talking. So whatever he's asking for, he's asking Forge if something can be done. Forge, the maker, the person that can make anything using his mutant power can this be done? I mean, using my intuition and my childhood gift from school of context clues, um, this is the old Cerebro helmet, which he does not wear in this series anymore. Correct. So that, I'm that assuming... looks like classic Cerebro, right? Right. I'm assuming he's asking Forge to make him his fancy dancy big X. Copy mines yeah. Cerebro. So, okay. And so they're talking about Cerebro. Forge asks, you know, what generation are you on? This is the fourth generation. Xavier designed the first one. And then Henry McCoy, Beast, Mm -hmm. has made improvements in both range and sensitivity along the way. And what Xavier wants to do now, and Forge is kind of calling out, you want to be able to copy a mutant's mind, make a backup of a sentient being. Beast was saying that it couldn't be done. And Forge is kind of like, well, you know, Beast is certainly smart, but this is beyond, this kind of machine building is beyond the good doctor's sensibilities, is the good doctor's expertise. Sly burn. Kind of. Well, I mean, Beast is smart. (laughs) Respectful burn. Respectful burn. You know, it's like, (laughs) hey, I'm the guy that you come to when you want to build some new kind of tech. And so Forge outlines two problems. One, volume, the amount of mines, the amount of mutants. And two, redundancy. And he's talking about two different kinds of redundancies. And in the micro, variations of one person over time. So the fact that you are different now than what you were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. But then also redundancies on the macro, you'd want at least one backup 
of all those minds in case anything were to happen. But would would you really want, you know, like today, Alicia, last week, Alicia, or would you want my current self to sort of replace my old self and then back up that replacement? So there's always one version and one backup. Right. So that's what they're talking about. The amount of redundancy, how much redundancy would you want in the micro of one individual but then in the macro having full backups of that entire system that's a lot of information right and so that's that's kind of what forge is chewing on what he's working you know what he's bristling in that mustache is (laughs) that sweet sweet mustache do you have a fusion reactor then all right let's let's talk about this let's let's see what we could potentially do and then on that on the next page, he talks about in the macro, you'd want at least one backup. And Xavier, with his creepy smile, I would want five. Who does a five that way? Who holds the back hand? of their palm forward and I says, would prefer, I would like five? I would prefer five. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I love I love four. Just, He's so just nonchalant. Like, yeah, right, man. Five's cool. Well, I, I think it's like a, all right, yeah, you crazy, you crazy little man. And your, <laughs> your big sure, five. Space plans. Hey, you know what? As an... As a person who has, you know, OCD and like I love spreadsheets, mm-hmm. I would understand wanting five five backups of something. Yeah, just you to know, be what super if, secure. What if you lose one? What if one's corrupt? What if someone tampers with one? Yeah, it says one main unit, three backups, and then an additional one for unforeseen complications. Dun, dun, dun. Unforeseen complications that maybe are foreseen, but I'm not telling you about them yet. Right. And, and Forge is just nonchalantly, all right, so the, the biggest problem with this is that you need access to an unlimited power source and unlimited storage. And unfortunately, nothing like that currently exists on this planet. And Xavier looks at him and says, no, it doesn't. That's why not, I'm here, Forge, for you to make it. Not on this planet. Oh, not on this planet. Which I feel like this this kind of tit for tat back and forth that they're doing right now is, <laughs> is just... Forge the guy that like, yeah, I can do anything, but his perspective is only so far, right? Mm -hmm. So I can do anything. All right, maybe I can do that if I had a fusion reactor. All right, maybe I could do that if there's unlimited power source and unlimited storage. And and he even kind of like leans in and and levels with Xavier. I forget, you you mess around in space. Uh, You know, you look earthbound. You're in a wheelchair, but you 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 do big things. Right. You You got a space girlfriend who's a bird lady. Oh, yeah, that bird lady. I got to say, though, like if you're Forge, right, and Xavier comes to you and you're working this out and and he's like, not on this planet. It's like, Xavier, just lay your cards on the yeah, table, just, man. Just stop just being so quiet. Just tell me what you've got to work with and then we can go from there. True, but also Forge is kind of being kind of a, a coy, you know, oh, well, I could do that if this or, you know, I could do that if this. and And I think that... You know, this this is the first time an interaction has happened like this, right? Where Xavier has come to Forge with this large of a request, right? This has never happened previously in X-Men history because this is the first time that Xavier has had or will have this Cerebro that now Forge, I guess, is going mm-hmm. to build or is involved in, in designing. And Xavier has had conversations with Forge in the past. At least he's aware of them from reading Moira's life. So he's he's kind of aware of where Forge might have a rebuttal and prepped to... He's got answers in his pocket. Exactly, yeah. All right. Now, 
this has zero to do with what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. It takes us just back. I just I just need to go back to the underwater vibe sure. for a second. Because it's a huge visually it's a huge part of these panels. Oh yeah. It's never referenced. It's not referenced at all. At all. It's just like it's just this is how forge lives. Kind of, but not really. This is imagine being in a penthouse apartment. And having the ability to make it whatever environment you wanted. I mean, that's awesome. That's, that's Forge. All right. I just didn't know if there was some secret little nugget about Forge's life where he was super into the ocean or marine life no. or anything like that. I don't think so. He's just he's just balling with technology. All right. Okay. Xavier mentions the fact that we have a cloaked antimatter engine for power. And she are logic diamonds for data. She are. That's that's his bird lady girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure if that's enough data storage. You'd have to tell me. And so (laughs) Ford is like, okay, we're going a step further. You want me to construct an entirely new system or integrate it into the existing one? And Xavier all just like, you're the maker. You know, you're the, that's, that's your call, Forge, whichever one's easiest. The question I have are you going to build it for me? And Forge just forges. He just little little smirk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're both smirking pretty hard in this. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, data page. Data page dedicated to Cerebro. And I'm assuming that this is now written from the perspective of year 10 in the House of X because we're talking about the seventh generation of Cerebro. We were just on the fourth when he came to Forge, oh. but it does note that even after that initial conversation that there have been some upgrades done initially it was working on shiar logic diamonds it now runs on a krakoan no place vent which i don't understand what that means but well, forge wait what a krakoan no place vent right so isn't no place the space island thing no place is a essentially a krakoan tumor it's a habitat that Krakoa himself doesn't know about. So it connects to the consciousness of Krakoa or it has an ability to travel to and from, but Krakoa isn't aware of it. And it's a non-naturally occurring flower. It was the third of the three uses for mutants. It's powered by a no-place vent, converted by Forge to act as an unlimited power source. So, and then here they detail, so once a week, Xavier does a partial backup of all mutants to all the redundant cradles that he mentioned in the first few pages across the world. So this takes him three hours, right? So that's every, he has to be undisturbed for those three hours as he's just doing a, a weekly backup of the small changes that you've had since last week. Once a year, he does a hard backup of everyone. It's not like a partial fill-up. It's a brand-new copy of who this person is and he can't be interrupted for three straight days as he's doing that three straight days does mm-hmm. he get to take any breaks i don't know uh that they, just seems intense they mentioned that they haven't been mixing mines with husks that that could be potentially fatal but i think that it's interesting that they call it out here uh xavier has legacy uploaded himself twice in those last two notes it is possible for a telepathic operator to replace their own mind with a previous legacy version, but doing so is incredibly difficult and would most likely require a skilled and experienced operator. Note, Charles Xavier has done it twice. 
Interesting. What's most interesting is that last section. Where they're all located. Where the cradle locations are. And number five. Moira's no place. Moira's no place. This is the first time we've seen reference to Moira in the House of X timeline. So if Moira had, yeah, I mean, she has never been seen in this timeline to Hmm. my knowledge. I mean, do you agree? Don't I? (laughs) I believe you wholeheartedly and truly. It is all one big mushy story in my brain. Good. Sure. (laughs) Um, But to have the note of the first time we've heard of a no place and that it belongs to Moira, this character that is a great deal of importance at other various timelines in year one, in year 100, in year, not in year 1000, but has not been seen in year 10. And now we find out that she oh, has yeah, a no place right. and it's the last cradle location. Just the more I'm thinking about it. So maybe that, is that where she is? She's in her no place? I don't know. Sounds inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> can't find me in my no place like i really really I had to it. stop myself from laughing when you said it out loud moira is yep. no place yep i'm just gonna move on yep we're we're in year 10 everyone out <laughs> uh we evacuate the louvre the french museum is that emma frost you think uh i think it might be looks but. like i mean it's a blonde in a white suit so yeah. i'm gonna assume yeah i think that's a pretty good assumption and so emma is talking to xavier and she's like you know i knew you were creeping up on me <laughs> i felt you creeping why are you here charles and magneto comes out of the other side same reason i am which is such a magneto entrance from the darkness, from the darkness when you were talking to one direction and you come in the other side surprise I, I got the helmet you didn't know i was here oh you knew charles was here because he got that dorky looking <laughs> cerebro skull well also because she's a telepath she's a telepath right <laughs> You can't penetrate my helmet. So no. You don't know I'm here in this, the shadow. This is my no place. <laughs> and so Emma's like, oh no, it's both of you together. This is either going to be really heroic or reckless. And How about both, Emma? Yeah, How both. about both? And, and on the next page, that's exactly how Xavier responds. Come on, Emma. Where's your faith? Couldn't it just as easily be both? Which I feel like that's a big thing from Xavier. I feel like that doubles down on this new attitude and approach. Yeah. The fact that A, we're here together and B, well, you know, maybe we're maybe we're being a little reckless. We could be a little reckless. We're, you don't know. We're crazy guys. So right. she Xavier tells her, you you and the Hellfire have likely heard about these new drugs. Right? He's like, You know that's me, right? Yes, Charles, I know I'm like you're not subtle. I was aware of <laughs> you in the other room of the museum. I know you're doing some things. You know, he, he announces to Emma that through some shell corporations and offshore interests that I am the one behind this company. It's like y- your lack of subtlety, it, it's all over the place. And so he says point blank to Emma, we're going to use those drugs as leverage to get the nation of Krakoa recognized and she, yeah, you're, it's just a hundred percent reckless. That's just reckless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so there's, there's more to why her reactions like that 
that you wouldn't know. But yeah, I was gonna say that doesn't seem that reckless. Like we're gonna use our leverage to get what we want. Mm, seems like pretty much everyone ever. On the other page, it's specifically she's reacting to what they're trying to do of bringing all the mutants on one island together, gathering everyone in one place. Didn't you learn? Shouldn't you know better? You know, is this just another Genosha? So Emma was actually teaching on Genosha during that Sentinel genocide where 16 million died. She oh, was this is this is news to me. I deeply impacted by the death of what were her students. Not the first time she's lost students. Okay, so Genosha, they gathered all the mutants to live in one place, and they were living in Genosha, and then the Sentinels attacked Genosha. It wasn't. I guess I didn't really think about why there were so many mutants in one place before. It was a mutant island nation. It was the island of Genosha where you know more than 16 million mutants were living, but 16 million mutants were killed by a wild sentinel attack. That's, that's the significance of that event and of that number in mutant history is those all those mutants were that makes a lot more living sense. In a so utopia. they're all together so now she's like are you guys kidding you're me? doing we this did, again? we just did this like we did this and we lost so many many mutants and so now we're gonna put them all together I mean, for the sentinels to come back i mean it was like 10 years ago so in, oh 10 years <laughs> just a decade let's right. do it again i mean marvel time is probably only three years ago so oh my gosh okay well first of all so she's freaking out like she's, Emma, she's do so not mad. lay your hands on magneto <laughs> He's, he's all right. You know, he knows she couldn't hurt him. <laughs> but they want they want Emma's help in forming a government. And, and, and she's like, for a nation that doesn't exist, aren't you guys getting a little ahead of yourselves? And Magneto's got the numbers. You know, he's talking about in one month, the population of Krakoa will overnight expand from several mutants to well over 100,000. Three months later, it will be five times that. I love... A couple of things about the art on these pages. I really like the punching in mm-hmm. of Magneto's face in the severity and the seriousness, the intent of what he's saying. He's right. like deep focus. And and just that last line of his on this page, you know, we are not ahead, we are woefully behind. Yeah. This is this is the big argument is we had numbers, we had power, we had Genosha, we lost so many of our people. We've been put back decades of evolutionary progress this is our way of reclaiming that this is why we need to be thinking like this to build ourselves back up right and the other thing i'm going to say is look at this look at emma she is in a nice white power suit Mm -hmm. she has authority she has presence and she's not naked right well she's also she's in charge of the hellfire corporation hellfire trading corporation or Whatever yes. they're going by Fantastic. right now. I like she it. She gets to set the clothing standards. I like seeing her with clothes on. You know, it makes me feel happy for her. She's pretty happy in, in her Hellfire <laughs> Club bustier lace. All right. Well, so she's upset. I just like to see her in a different outfit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's upset. She just can't get by the fact that they're serious. And Xavier says, this is the day you've been waiting for to make right all the things that went wrong. And she's like, wow, how is this going to be different? How is this not going to be like the number of other times that things have failed around me? And let us show you. I also really like the, um, these, the, it's a, it's a four panel Mm -hmm. stretch, but these three panels where 
Xavier and Magneto are sort of facing in towards Emma. It's like the devil and the angel on your shoulders. Yeah, just the way that Xavier's the one who says, this is this is that day you've been waiting for. And Magneto, Magneto says, to make right all the things that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Those are it's just a perfect those are the perfect lines for each of them to say xavier mm-hmm. is saying something hopeful and magneto is saying something Vengeance. vengeful or something but they're both saying the same to thing to give you the incentive right you know yeah but they're working together like if the angel and the devil on your shoulders were working together on some morally questionable activity yeah and then a crocon flower mm. Ooh. let us uh, let us show you Ooh. Oh, yeah. Now she's in her fierce little cape. Yeah. One more time then for the children. All right. I'm in. Two of those are two of the lines from that title page. For the children. One more time. So that means, you know, for the future, right? For the future mutants. Mm-hmm. Is that what for the children? For the means? children, for the future, for the current children, you know, for it. That's been a big, especially after she was reformed from the villain of the Hellfire Club, and was really developed beyond the Massachusetts Academy initially, but then took a leadership role with Generation X and then became an X-Man and then and was a part of... So you said the Hellfire Corporation is what she runs now? Mm-hmm. So is, that, is the Hellfire Corporation different than the Hellfire Club? Are they not evil anymore? It's morally ambiguous. They, <laughs> they are powerful business leaders who do things on their own interests whether that be for whatever those interests are at the current time i don't Ah. know i don't know if they're actually called the hellfire corporation i know that that's they soon become the hellfire trading company and that is i might have just pulled the word corporation right out of the air no i think i did say that okay i think that that is you know what what it is that they're talking about and so she asks what do you need what do you want and Xavier basically says, we need the Hellfire Corporation to be our dealer of Krakoan drugs. <laughs> we don't trust humans. We don't want them to be the distributors. We want an exclusive deal with you. And Magneto kind of tries to lowball the deal. We're, we're thinking a 20-year, um, yes, yes, as I was saying, we were thinking a 50-year exclusive <laughs> contract with you as the sole distributor. Better. I like Emma Frost a lot. Yeah. Well, I think especially this gives opportunity for a character to come out yeah and just also she's confident she's strong she's well respected mm-hmm. she gets things done i'm like i mentioned in a previous episode about how she's always involved in political dealings things like that mm-hmm. she has a seat at the table yeah you know, she, i think she's got an interesting role in the marvel universe and so beyond the money we're going to give you two seats on the 12-person council that will act as the first government of Krakoa. And so she's like, this council, I'm sure this is temporary until a more suitable structure is agreed upon. I don't know, we're just kind of making it up as we go. And she asks, why do you want two seats? And I love this frame of Magneto and Xavier turning to each other and just the snow following around them. And Xavier says, we need you to bring Sebastian Shaw back into the Hellfire. What? And she, All I, I know about Sebastian Shaw is Kevin Bacon. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Sebastian Shaw is the worst. And Kevin Bacon is the best. 
Kevin Bacon's the best. Yeah, but Sebastian Shaw is the worst. And her next panels, but I just got rid of him. I just got him out of the Hellfire Corporation. Look at her giant X medallion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, why? Why do we want Sebastian Shaw back? What well, does he have to offer, and boys? She had, and she had poisoned him back in X-Men Black, which was a recent kind of in, in time comparison, poisoned him to get rid of him from the picture of hellfire yikes hey remember that time i poisoned you but mm -hmm. could you just come back and work with me and work under me yeah great so what we need we need you to be the face of our legitimate trade so the nations that accept krakoa what we need him to do is to do the black market stuff ah so we need him to do all those people that don't accept krakoa get the drugs in get mutants out whoa this is some seedy business yeah Reckless, they'll, in they'll, fact. They'll think we're doing one thing. But we're actually doing another. Right. So can we count you in? And she's like, you know, but not for two seats. I'll be needing three. Ooh, who's the third seat? Yeah. Question, Intrigue. Question. Am I going to find out when I turn this page? No. no. You're not going to find Wah. out. You're not going to find <laughs> out actually until um, after House of X, Powers of Ten. What? I don't like that. No. I want answers. The, Too bad. I like this is called the Quiet Council of the, Krakoa. The Quiet Council of Krakoa, yeah. We only know four names on the council, and then we have the addition of Krakoa and Cypher towards the bottom. Also note the season divisions. Yeah, what is that about? I was just going to ask that. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to tell <laughs> I'm you. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Dagnabbit. Okay, wait. I just want to read this. The 12-person ruling council of Krakoa that decides how the mutant nation handles external conflicts and the internal laws of the island itself. There is some debate as to whether this council will continue in perpetuity or if some other system of government will replace it. Professor X Magneto redacted, redacted. information. Three more redacted. Oh, I always knew Emma Frost was called the White Queen, but I didn't know Sebastian Shaw was the Black King. That's and so those are their status names in the Hellfire Club. Oh. And then another redacted, and then three more redacted, and then Cypher, and then Krakoa. And on hmm. the next page. But that's... Oh, sorry. You have autumn, winter, spring, summer, and then the division of Krakoa. Right. So this 12-seat ruling government is separate from Krakoa. Krakoa is a part of this conversation, but I think, you know, we've talked about just the weight that being the island itself comes with has a voice at this government table. And then obviously Cypher created the ability to communicate with Krakoa. So right, so he's got to be there to kind of be a be mediator. Doug. Doug. Doug's got to be in the conversation. Classic Doug. All right, what's this business over here those seem to be which is interesting right it looks like we have black dots on the areas that we know people oh i see it's like the knights of the round table this is who's seated but cyphers in black and krakoa is not right which right we know krakoa is there puzzles puzzles this page says silence at the top and then it says, law of land on the bottom. Mm. Mm, interesting. 
intrigue. I don't like it when you give me those little faces like, <laughs> I know more than you, but yeah. I can't tell you. Yeah. And oh, so now we're in year 10. Year 10 and a summoning, right? And we see the outreach that resulted in all those villains coming through the gates. This message that Xavier sent to the villains themselves specifically. And we see the acolytes in that second panel. We see Mr. Sinister and what looks like a bunch of his dead clones. I don't know panel. who the acolytes are, do I? Uh, you do not know. The acolytes were introduced in x-men of the 90s so the, the second title the adjectiveless x-men and interesting well so it's just x-men you know ad- adjectiveless x-men it's x-men i said that it's x-men instead of uncanny or astonishing or right giant size sure right adjectiveless i understand um, and they were followers of magneto so the acolytes lived on avalon which was his meteor base and they were his followers they we're all about that Magneto goodness. I could be one of them. Like you do. Yep. <laughs> uh, and Exodus became, and we'll talk about Exodus, I think, later on. Exodus is that guy with the arm applets. Mm-hmm. He became Magneto's secondhand man. Excellent. And then Mr. Sinister, yes, and <laughs> his sad sinister clones. Yep. And the Omega family, Gorgon. And then we go to what looks like, which is, I, I, I love I love this outreach. It's backstory. It doesn't add a whole lot. It does pepper in some more specifics on the villains that were summoned. But it also is used to set up something, which is kind of cool, as we then transition to what looks like Atlantis. Oh. And we see Namor, the prince of Atlantis, the king of Atlantis. Oh, someone else I don't know. Yeah, you know, you don't know <laughs> Namor. Namor is, uh, he kind of was a villain, and he was good, and then it was established that he's also a mutant. And so he's getting this outreach from Xavier, and you know he's kind of just reacting to this. Uh, and now we're underwater for real. Now we're really <laughs> underwater, yes. Those are actual sharks coming at this Xavier. And just, Namor is really cocky. That's something that you should just know about Namor. And so just his rebuttal back to Xavier, you realize that you're better than them, better than the humans. And that's why they hate you. They envy you. And you're coming to me. Do you think I just realized I'm better than everyone else? (laughs) I'm Namor. Go away, little man. And don't come back until you really mean it. He just called Charles little man. Yeah. Namor is often referred to as the first mutant or is one of one of the mutants that claim that title of the first mutant the other ones being apocalypse and selene uh, but he is just a really cocky king of atlantis but listen namor like we really mean it yeah we mean it this time I'm, we, we, we it's real man okay year 1000 we're back to the the phalanx all right let's pause for a second before we dive into year 1000 because I want to maybe recap. What, what do you know about year 1000? Okay. What do I know about year 1000? Because I went through. Let's see if I can say it from my I went through my and, brain pocket. and did just a, a dive to just try and re-up Try on. and recap. Okay. Mm-hmm. So year 1000, this is what I know. I know Nimrod is a tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. Nimrod the greater. And I know that there are a group of 
beings that wish to ascend to be or no yes they want to ascend yeah they want to ascend these beings i was gonna say transcend because no. of the 100 no but okay it's not that. okay well i just can get them twisted in my head yeah okay so they want to ascend to be part of this the phalanx which is this being not a hive mind but but a conscious a collective consciousness mm-hmm. and one of them uploaded their consciousness into a technological little box thing mm-hmm. that orb the phalanx accepted mm-hmm. and now and now that one person is part of their consciousness the consciousness because they can't do it with like personalities or consciousness it has to be technology based yep. and there's like a church of the ascension which was actually in powers of 10 uh the year 100 storyline that that church was in mm-hmm. and that was likely preaching the ideas that led to year 1000 and that's all i remember yeah and the other connection between year 100 and year 1000 the beginning of year 1000 we see Silabel or what looks like a deteriorating Silabel in a tube which is where she was captured right. by Nimrod Okay. Yes. And that was when there, that's when we first learned about chimeras and there was um, Rasputin. That was year 100. Right. But that's when she was captured. Yes. Right. With Rasputin. And then the the guy whose name I can't remember who was like, actually, I don't fight. I'm good. But then he had a sword after. Okay. All right. Yep. So these are not, these are not humans. They evolved beyond humanity, the beyond humans and mutants. There was this effort to catalog all of mutantdom in preparation for a war, a war that ended humanity, became ex- a war that ended humanity, which it became extinct except for what they have in a preserve. And they showed that in the first one. That's in year 1000? Yes. So basically they're saying the Cerebro backup or whatever... Is the only thing that survived the mutant human war? There is no Cerebro backup, or at least not that I know of. They have not referenced Cerebro in any way, but that Nimrod himself had made backups of mutantdom. Oh, Nimrod did. And so this post... Separate from the backups that Mr. Sinister had. They don't reference it. Okay. So this this post-human species wanted to evolve even further. They mentioned an alien infestation. So there was like an attack, the the Badoon infestation of the 31st century. And this is from Powers of X, Powers of 10 number two. They wanted to establish a relationship with a higher level of interstellar civilization, evolve beyond what they were into something more. So they followed that Cree intelligence plan that we talked about a couple episodes ago, where they took a hundred of their smartest scientists into a machine called a Nimbus which was housed in a Nimrod shell, which I don't think we talked about previously. So they took all this intelligence and put it in basically a Nimrod body. And they sent that into, it crashed into a Nibiru, which I feel like if you're going to talk about all these things, you could give them some slightly different names. Like Nimrod, Wait a second, all Nimrod. of this happened already? Yes. This was all on a data page that we kind of... Oh, okay. I was into. like, where was I? Yeah, we talked about it. This was, <laughs> this was the issue that you were like, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand <laughs> yes. what's going yes. on. Yes, okay. Um, and so in in acknowledgement of that, I'm trying to do a little bit of You're a trying deeper to help revisit. Me. Yes. Okay. Right. I appreciate uh, you. So this Nimbus crashes into this Nibiru 
and using the self-replicating machines in the core of this planet, it transforms all the matter and converts it into data. It grows and develops as it's consumed into this giant technology machine. This is what then becomes the world mind 10 years later. So they send all this intelligence into this machine that crashes into this giant celestial orb. I think it was like a, a frozen gas giant, a planet-sized object on a solar orbit. And so they transform that into... Hold a, on. Yep. Who is they? Nimrod? Nope. The post-human society. So the blue people, the elders. Oh, the blue people. Yep. Okay. You all right? <laughs> I'm trying so hard. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to sit here with my eyes closed and picture. So they sent they sent that world mind out into the universe trying to establish contact with a higher intellect. So they, the blue people, yep, yep. already knew mm -hmm. that this higher being, a.k.a. the phalanx, existed, and they were sending this out in hopes of they knew that larger contacting? Or? Yes, they knew that they were not the biggest things out there. They knew that there were other societies, other civilizations, other just collectives that were much bigger than they. And it's starting to understand in my brain. Yeah. Um, something that did stick out as I was looking through this, they, they wanted to attract a civilization that wasn't just a universal predator. So not just a, a warring species that would come and destroy them. They wanted something that was larger. So the phalanx come to them in that big city and they come out of what looks like, and I, and I say this, it looks like a black hole. It looks mm -hmm. like, like the blue squiggles and the black hole bulge. Uh, and they ate the intelligence and it said that you wanted something more. What did you want? Ascension. And then, right, the black hole again. And then they talk about those types of societies. And I revisited those types of societies. And it says a machine is one copy of a mind or the thinking power of one mind. So this is basically a backup of a human. So like what they did with that orb, mm -hmm. a machine, a status one machine is just one. So kind of like what they're doing with mutants in okay. Cerebro. A hive is a collection of up to 10 individual machines with unified thinking power. So they're kind of like what's the next thing in intelligence, but they're operating independently. They're 10 connected minds operating independently. Okay, so similar to when the team was going to do that impossible mission where they all died and Xavier and Storm and all those people were linked together with the cuckoos. So it's like their minds can all communicate, but they're individual people. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I think on the society's level, they're talking something more permanent and something more machine-based or, or data-based, but that is in theory similar to what it was. So okay. the connection that they're able to achieve through Xavier and through the Cuckoos would be somewhat of a individual action, con collective goal. <laughs> and so a hive, the next level, is an intelligence. It's an amalgam. A what? A, a synergy. Uh, this is a common word. It's a common word. It's a common word. Amalgam. You don't know what an amalgam is. I've never heard that word in my life. It's it's like a, a combination. It's it's a hundred of these machines working towards a collective goal, and so all of these merged into one thing. 
Okay. So understood. Not it's a Amalgam. common it's, word. It's please. I get it. You don't know the word amalgam? Amalgam. Oh man. Okay. Okay. And so, and so, and and the reason why I wanted to revisit these two pages in particular that detail these societies. So the the types of societies that first set of three are planetary. The next set of three are galactic. So that's where we find the technarch, the world mind, and the phalanx. The reason why I wanted to revisit this is because we're going to get a next set of three in this issue. Oh, So a larger, something bigger than the phalanx. Right. So a technarch, which connects to previous knowledge of the X-Men world, a technarch is... I feel like, is this what our, our... New friends at Superhero Soup were talking about where they don't know what the heck is going on. Yep. Right. Where you're never going to know all the things, but I, I'm trying to give you a little bit more of understanding. I appreciate you, Superhero Soup. I understand where your brain is at. I. Okay. So all of these things. When you started saying them, I had kind of forgotten that the phalanx was just one of all of these things. Yep. So these things are not part of the phalanx. These things are... This is a way of classifying societies where the phalanx is a large society. Okay. At the top of a list that we thought only went up to six. Okay, so it does. It goes more. And so a technarch, which I thought was interesting, each technarch believes it is the only technarch in existence... Technarchs are invisible to other technarchs. A technarch is a society of the the technarchy, which exists as this (laughs) face you're making. The technarchy? They're techno-organic beings without like a form. And as part of their story is the Magus and the Warlock. I think I need flashcards. Yeah. I think just... Let me get um, through uh, this. Just wash, let it wash over me. Yeah, just okay. let it, just let it hit you. Here, I, here it comes. No more talking, Alicia. Just and, absorbing. And so the technarch is created by the phalanx to go and organize and to find what types of societies are out there, but they are not aware of the fact that they are created by the phalanx. Okay. And a technarch exists as a singular node, which means that it is a one unit thing. It's that, that Kivich, which is their planet, which they thought, which KVCH, I don't know how to pronounce that. All right. You did a great job. Yeah. So that is their world, which they thought was just their home world or what we thought was just the home world of the Technarch. But it actually is kind of like the core node of this one instance of a Technarch. That there are multiple instances of technarchs, but they're unaware of each other. And they work for the phalanx to categorize and understand what types of organizations, what types of civilizations are out there. Okay. And so in Powers of Ten Three, and this becomes kind of interesting and something that I think is a long-term thing. Okay. When Rasputin opens up Zorn's head mm-hmm. and... Omega is saying, you know, like, do you have any idea what lies at the heart of a real black hole? I'll give you a hint. Oh, yes, yes. It's where we're headed. It's where we're all headed. And this is kind of where a lot of people get tripped up with 
the House of X and Powers of Ten, and and arguably so because it's so dense in terms of science fiction and and what it's connecting to to black holes and to singularities. But the idea is a black hole is a region of space time where gravity is so strong that nothing, not even particles, can escape from it. So the theory of general relativity it predicts that a sufficiently compact mass can deform space time to form a black hole. So a bunch of stuff in one area can collapse space time around mm-hmm. it and to become form a, black a black hole. hole. A singularity is kind of a core or what could contain the potential of a black hole. Mm-hmm. When Cardinal opened up Zorn's head and released a black hole from the singularity in his head, that's that's what I just I want to call out of interest. Okay, yes. Got it. Flagged it. And so that Powers of Ten number four, the last issue that we were reading, the first elder, so he introduced himself, and his machine, his brain replica, his S1 machine copy. This is the only way of them ascending intelligence into the phalanx. So they're ready for convergence. They hope for ascension, and they don't care what you hope. But they absorb the elder's self and reciting some knowledge of theirs. And we will await they want the people now to await their response if you're going to ascend. So they've now taken that one brain and they're like, all right, we're going to see if you're you're worthy of us. That is 100% the same thing as the 100. <laughs> I'm going to test one human to see if the entire human race is worthy of ascension. Yeah, okay, but this came out a year plus ago, so the 100 is biting. Mm-hmm. A All fight right. for another day. Yeah. So we're, we're back here. We're back here on page, what, like 24 of this issue. I don't know. Uh, yes. So okay. how do you feel about that? All that stuff. Did that make any help or did it any more <laughs> sense? Or was that just, is that something I'll end up cutting out of the episode? No, no, don't cut it out because I think it's valuable information. I just, what I feel is it gave me a little more insight into the the multiple entities that exist and the tie back to Zorn and the creation of a black hole is important Mm -hmm. flagged it in my brain and so now I know where we are it was a good recap of all the craziness that has happened in powers of 10 in year 1000 Mm -hmm. so now where we're at right now in this moment is they have submitted their one one brain. brain for approval and then this page where they're saying, I understand you have an answer. Yeah. That's I, them. I ate your thing. We're, we're coming back. We have an answer. We'd love to hear it. So these are our terms. Oh, that's By them, we accept. And the phalanx appears and destroys this elder. So just, well, it looks like they're giving him a little kiss. Uh, yes, sure. <laughs> It's a nice, lovely little kiss. It's a little kiss on the forehead to burst you into oblivion. Yeah. And what then comes is a pretty dense page of the librarian and Nimrod talking. And the librarian not understanding what just happened. The fact that the phalanx accepted or seemed to have accepted their offer, but then consumed the physical body of this person. Right. So Nimrod's kind of going on this explanation expanding on the explanation of just what's happening here. So they agreed why they do that. Well, 
Nimrod says we've evolved and improved and so has so have machines. It's how we were built. Together we've harnessed the power of this planet, right? So together the machines, this post-human society, they've harnessed the entire power of this planet. What they're trying to do is harness the sum total of our solar system, which is big, right? That's a big mm-hmm. thing that we're trying to do, but not on their scale. They're much larger than we are. They're on a different scale than we are. I, Nimrod, am small parts that improve themselves to benefit the greater whole, the nanotechnology within him. Phalanx are similar, but more sophisticated. Almost certainly true of their masters. And this is the first reference to the idea that phalanx are, someone above the phalanx. are working for something. right? So phalanx are multiple people, like multiple beings, not just one phalanx. There are... The phalanx are multiple. The phalanx is a collective, so it's. I guess my question is more. I I know they're a collective consciousness, but do they have one physical representation or multiple physical representations? They have a mass of technological representation that forms and shapeshifts, and that that's what we've been seeing as it's come to them. That's that's what the phalanx is. That's how they're physically represented. Great. Um, so who could be in charge of the phalanx? Who, what, what is in charge of this giant techno society? And so they're talking about a theory that explains singularities and relates it to the societal machine intelligence. So the, the breakdown of that machine hive intelligence, mm-hmm. right? So if a machine intelligence is dense enough, if there's... If it's that complex and dense enough, it will collapse space and time around becoming a singularity or, or could potentially become a black hole. The librarian references Titan theory. Mm-hmm. Every black hole has a supermassive machine brain at its center that it was so much condensed and collapsed in space time around it is now sucking into what was a giant machine brain, which felt visually like what had initially appeared with the phalanx, which is this dense black hole looking machine brain mm-hmm. that came out of darkness and, and enveloped the city. So, and, and this, like I said, this is getting deep into some sci-fi stuff. So black holes and singularities. So what is at the heart of a black hole? Nimrod saying that a black hole is a wormhole, a bridge to another singularity. Each black hole might not be separate machines, but they could be all connected across a universe. So societal intelligence so far beyond us that, and, and this is Nimrod saying this, it might be that God that mankind spent so much time looking for. So this is like connected points through wormholes, through black holes across an entire universe. Yes. <laughs> like maybe anomaly stones. Anomaly stones? I'm just making another oh. 100 reference. I'm sorry. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's... But do you actually understand what I'm Yes, saying? actually, because of the 100, I feel like I understand. Great. Because there were points on different planets and different universes that had different mm-hmm. sort of portal accesses to each other. Those were all wormholes connected through that these. That all then were connected by this other being that everyone, every species aspired to transcend to become a part of so it's basically this sure what i'm interested in and maybe i'll i will do some research on this for the live episode um there's a lot of references in this story and also there were some in the 100 to like greek 
and Roman mythology. Yes. And even, so even Titan theory. Right, exactly. So that and how I was saying, um, oh, the, he looks like Hades or whatever, mm-hmm. Achilles and all of mm-hmm. that. So I'm wondering if the reason we're finding connections in these other sci-fi stories to this is because all of those sci-fi stories are using mythology as an inspiration. And maybe if I can find a story in Greek mythology that has a similar idea of transcendence, it might offer some insight to help me better understand what the heck is going on. Sure. So I'm going to look into that for the live episode. Sure. And so the librarian says, I still don't understand why they eat him though. (laughs) And Nimrod snaps back. He says, you know, we wanted a protector and we found a predator and a hungry one. The phalanx consume worthy cultures, adding their consumed societal intelligence to theirs and by extension to their masters, the people they work for. It's taxing the process and, and the phalanx were hungry. And so they accepted our deal, but on their own terms. They need to consume matter, converting it to energy to live and serve. We wanted sovereignty, but it came with an unexpected price. They're going to absorb the intelligence. The history will live on forever, but they'll also feed consuming this entire planet leaving nothing behind that's not good that's not what they wanted that's not good it's partially what they wanted but they're talking to a larger societal being and then on this last data page we get description of a titan a stronghold and a dominion and these are likely those larger universes that could be the masters of okay and just reading the very first sentences of each one So a Titan is an interstellar society that has become so advanced that the density of its unified intelligence has collapsed space-time into a singularity. Mm -hmm. So a Titan creates a black hole, right? Then a stronghold is a network of Titans and a Dominion is a network of strongholds. No, 10 or more Titans. It's just more Titans. So it's just, they're just the same thing, just depending on how many Titans they... Yeah, a stronghold is five or fewer. Dominion is 10 or more. Okay. (laughs) Better, at least? I have acknowledged it. It is in there. Yeah. I'm sure at some point in the future, when we get more information, it will make more sense. Mm -hmm. But I really feel that flashcards are in my future so that when things pop back up i can just go poop, poop, poop. which one is this okay all great right. phalanx all right okay phalanx and we can quiz each other sure i'm in and then the last data page actually is the kind of a revisit to what was at the end of i think powers of 10 3 and so we saw that first half the technarch and their connection to the phalanx which i, I did want to note that kind of mm-hmm. connecting dot yeah Uh, The world mind being in between the two as something that's larger than a technarch, but not as big as a phalanx. And then we see a titan, a stronghold, and a dominion. And our last page, when you see me again, understand what it means. Namor. So I may be, I may have. Who's Namor? Atlantis. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we went on a big diversion, but divergence with that. Powers of Ten I recap. I literally was just like, I know I heard that name today. I know I heard that name. I know I'm supposed to know who that we, is. We were just in year 1000 for what felt like a full episode. That's okay. It's, you know, these things, people need people need to talk them out. 
Yeah. Me being people. You being people. I need you to say it a bunch so it sinks into my little brain. So there's a, there's a whole lot happening on that intergalactic scale. But also there's a whole lot of other things happening throughout this issue. What would you think of this issue? I I like this issue. I'm all for understand like I'm interested in understanding more about Emma Frost and mm-hmm. her, you know, her journey as part of this um council and the creation of everything. It was cool to the forge Xavier get the stuff. get the connection of okay old cerebro to new cerebro mm-hmm. what's something that may be familiar to me into this world that is completely new to me um so that that was great um what else happened the quiet council oh the council i always love a little intrigue something that leaves me wanting more yeah you know red- the redacted information is yeah trickery i'm like well tell me more. why would you tell me if you're not going to tell me why are you going to tell me but not tell me yeah so um, that great um (laughs) namor i mean it's interesting that they are showing you how they go you know there's that one scene in in a previous issue where basically like the portals open up and all the bad guys come in oh yeah but you don't know how do they know to do that, mm-hmm. right? So seeing the communication with each of these different groups and inviting them and telling them about Krakoa in sort of like a montage way Gives us that backstory, nice. but then also um, sets up this interaction. with Right. Namor. This interaction, however, leads me to believe there's more coming from Namor because, well, one, he agree. gets a quote at the end, yep. and those are usually reserved for Magneto and Xavier. Or Apocalypse, or Moira, yeah. Right. So now this person who has just appeared for essentially one page mm-hmm. and you know is setting up this idea that i am a big deal a, i'm a big deal you think you're doing big things i already been doing big things right all so that time. you know that's interesting and then you get like a little more of a taste of what's going on with the phalanx and all of that nonsense and great that's great yeah i'm sure eventually i'll be more into that part of it <laughs> right now that just kind of hurts my brain but and hopefully there was a little bit better after that conversation to walk through yeah. yes yeah it's all there it's it's sort of i enjoy stories that reveal as they go mm-hmm. i like flashbacks or i like hearing stories from different perspectives so in a sense because we're we're going through different lifelines or different timelines or whatever you want to call them we're almost getting the story from different people's perspectives or things like that so i like how stories like that add to your knowledge of what's going on just by growing information from different perspectives i think all of the stuff with year 1000 is i don't have anything to tie any of that to so i don't it's it's having a hard time sticking in my brain, it just and I feels can like understand. It's its own thing, right? right, I can understand why other people might feel confused by that because yep. it feels like a lot of information to retain without a character or a specific storyline to tie it to. Mm-hmm. Like all of those different entities of all of those different entities, what I know of, what I'm connected to in this story is a phalanx. Mm-hmm. So trying to remember what all the other ones mean and what they've what their configurations are and all of that feels hard to handle sometimes. 
Um, and that's why I was saying the thing about flashcards is like, okay, when one pops up, then I can go, oh, wait, what was this? Or that's why this book is nice because mm-hmm. I can flip back and go, what was this? So, but overall, a lot happened. Yeah. Great, great issue. A lot happened, even though, you know, a, a little happened still. You know, it was just a little more happened in a lot of different places. Yeah, I would say a lot happened as in like a lot new of holes were filled was, yeah. in. New information right? was revealed. Yeah. The story is a little bit more complete. I did really like the Forge and Xavier interaction. I thought that that was really well done just as their characters, but also as giving us some more deeper connection points mm-hmm. and starting to reveal. So what was kind of like a afterthought almost on that Krakoan networking page a couple issues back where they talked about skunk works and, you know, Forge just right, operating yes. in the underground. Uh, this kind of sets that up. This mm-hmm. Xavier came to Forge long time ago when he came to Magneto and Sinister, you know, this is in a similar. This is assembling the team. Right. right. So Forge is playing a bigger part than what we've previously known. And I think that that's interesting. Uh, Emma coming in, you know, she's been a part of the conversation, but now we're showing how she came. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's what I mean. There's a lot happened as in like, there's a lot revealed. Right. Yeah. Hey, Justin. Yeah. Where can people find us? The internet. Oh my gosh, really? All over the internet at the XY Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at the XYPodcast.com, XYPodcast at gmail.com if you're trying to talk, if you're trying to say what you're thinking. You're trying to tell us your feelings, your thoughts. How are you confused? <laughs> What's confusing you the most? And get pumped because this was number 10 out of 12 out of episodes 12. that will lead us up to our live episode mm-hmm. so get ready for that because it's coming soon december 19th to a theater near you no oh, that's sad we went to the theater a week ago we saw new mutants yes we did it was on a monday early afternoon where no one was there and we could stay sufficiently away from everyone and it there's was only, okay yeah there's only one other group of people and, with, and with movie, us in the theater the movie was fine the yeah. movie was fine Fine. Fine. Until next time, old friend. Charles. Charles. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. <laughs>